I am obsessed with peanut M&Ms. I must confess. It is my favorite candy, peanut M&Ms. I come by it naturally. My grandma's favorite candy is any sort of M&Ms, but I think specifically peanut M&Ms are genetically connected to the Schaffner household. I remember when bags of M&Ms used to be much smaller than this and just an individual serving size, but now they have a king size or a share size that you can go to any gas station and pick up very easily and eat on your own if you want or share with someone else. I remember the first Christmas I got a a pound of peanut M&Ms in my stocking and I pulled it out and it was like the holy grail. I was excited to hold it in my hands. And then I remember two years ago, I was given a three pound bag of M&Ms, right? It looks like this. It's massive. It didn't fit in the stocking. It went in its own box. And honestly, it took me a day or two, maybe three at best, to consume that pound, three pound bag of M&Ms. Now, it's not a good thing to do that. It was the best Christmas and the worst Christmas, if you know what I mean. I love M&Ms and an obsession with candy is sometimes common for all of us, but it gets deep-seated inside of us, like it's a craving that cannot be quenched. I wonder why sometimes our cravings are so strong. Have you thought about that? Why is it that our cravings are sometimes even stronger than what we truly need for our life? Let me say it this way. How come our cravings overshadow what we know to be our truest needs? Think about it this way. If you were to ask the question, what is the deepest need of humanity... I think most of us would say that need is love. Yet, when we think about that, oftentimes it's our craving that wants to push love out of the way. And maybe we'd say, no, no, what we long for is acceptance. But if we understand that love also includes acceptance, we would have to confess that acceptance of someone does not require that we love someone. And so the deepest need is really rooted in understanding a true nature of love and accepting people where they are. And then, of course, we grow into who God has created us to be. Our deepest need and our craving oftentimes battle one another. Our cravings in life can dominate our focus in life. And while our needs are clearly in front of us, they can also be taken for granted. Our needs in life are mismanaged and underprioritized so that our cravings can often be prioritized. The truth of the matter is this. There are some cravings that we should not pursue, no matter how strong they are. And so, Here's our tension. Here's our question for the day. What do we crave with our lives? What do we crave for our lives? 
Well, let me say welcome to the Upside Down, and we've been in this series. It's been a discussion of Jesus's most famous and most impactful teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's a series of statements called the Beatitudes, and they're gathered on a mountainside or a hillside is a group of followers of God who are hearing this new understanding of what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven the will and the way of God for our lives through the lens of Jesus. And Jesus uses this word that we would say blessed, but in its, in its innocence, we would describe it as happiness. Happiness in its truest form rooted in the person of Jesus. Meaning that happiness as in the statement of peace before God and humanity, knowing that our identity is secure in God and God alone, is in fact happiness, blessing. And we understand that being uh, the people of God, that we are blessed by God, meaning we are in relationship with him to be a blessing with others. And we are called to live out that happiness. And so this week, we have a new verse a new blessing that we need to unpack. And here's what it says in Matthew 5, starting in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's a simple statement. Happy people hunger and thirst for God. Is there anything more primitive, anything more uh, simple to the understanding of our pursuit of our relationship with God than the expressions of hunger or thirst? Every human understands what it means to be hungry. Every human understands what it's to be thirsty. It's a basic need. And Jesus uses these physical expressions to understand our craving, our longing for God. It's like an empty stomach that growls to be satisfied. It's like a dry tongue that can't wait to be quenched by even a drip of water. It's like the air that we breathe, our relationship is rooted in God. And that's where we find our craving being quenched. It's important for us to understand that God instilled in us a craving for him, a desire for him. We are created to crave God. We are created to crave God. From the very opening pages of scripture, there is this understanding that God created peace, a relationship, a shalom, where God and humanity could work together. They were in relationship through everyday life. They experienced life together. And God put in us the ability to crave Humanity is intended to work hand in hand with God and it was only our sin and our rebellion that pushed us away from God. This hand in hand relationship was broken when sin entered the world and we began like a child to press away from our heavenly father as if we knew best. But Genesis reminds us that we were created in the image of God. It was God's intention that we would have a longing a desire to be in relationship with God. Blaise Pascal says this quote. He says, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. 
And deep inside of all of us, there is this chasm that we try and fill with all sorts of things, uh, whether it be our job, whether it be our wallet, whether it be our fame, whether it be power or control, we try and fill this void in our lives with acceptance, with whatever it may be, trying to fill it so that we might be satisfied, we might be happy with the life that we have. But our happiness is rooted in this God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And when we recognize that our satisfaction ultimately comes in our relationship with God, every other craving can dissipate, can go by the wayside. I like how the authors in Scripture begin to describe it. Uh, Psalm 42, verse 1, they describe it as this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. Or Psalm 63, 1. You, God... You, God, uh, are my earnest, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you and thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I, I love this desperation that what we need and what we crave more than anything else is to be known by God, to be loved by God, to be in relationship with God. And that has to be our priority our craving above all other cravings. So why would God, why would God make us human beings that crave at all? Specifically crazing him. This is going to blow your mind. Why would God want us to crave him? Because God longs for you to know and love him. That in the free will of our lives, knowing that we could, we could take the bite of an apple and, and taste its crispness, that we could sit on a hillside and bask in a sunrise or sunset, that we could long to be in human relationship and to be a part of a community, that in our free will to have those longings and feelings and emotions and thoughts, that we would begin to prioritize our life so that our greatest craving above everything else would be our relationship with God. That means that we would be willing to surrender our lives and even submit our lives so that the way of Jesus could be lived out in all of us. Now, I, I have this on a very practical level. I have shared at different times in different messages that for over, over the last 15 months, I've been on a health journey to change my life. And so I, I made some decisions in July of last year that significantly shifted and was kind of a resetting of my life to lose over 100 pounds. Now, clearly, I have more weight to lose, but I will tell you this. In the cravings of my life, when life would get difficult or I'd have a hard time managing my life, oftentimes what I would do, instead of addressing or confronting or taking that moment of my life and putting it in front of God, I would oftentimes pull away and maybe, maybe I'd go out to eat with friends. Maybe I'd find some sort of way to distract me. Maybe I'd go out and I'd grab a snack or do something to satisfy the discomfort of my life. But I as I began to lose some weight, as the pounds began to come off, as I began to take my habits and surrender them before God, I began to realize that instead of pulling away from conflict and trying to surround myself with friends or pulling away from conflict and going and just grabbing a meal to blow off some steam or to grab a snack or do something else. If I would lean into God or lean into God's word or lean even into my friends so that they might speak into my faith, into my life, that my craving 
of satisfaction in other things began to dissipate and my longing and growth with God would grow. See, there's this interconnection that we realize that when we look at our habits, we begin to recognize that while we are created to have cravings and our greatest craving is to have a relationship with God, that there are some cravings that when consumed, they pull us away from what we should crave the most. That's why I think we need to understand that we consume what we crave and we crave what we consume. There's a relationship here. We consume what we crave and we crave what we consume. And this, for the Christian, can either be a vicious cycle where we know we should be pursuing what God wants for us and we could chase something else and, and we can fight that, do what we know we shouldn't do and not do what we know we should do. Or it can be a momentum gainer that with every decision that we would lean in and we would trust and we would begin to spend our time submitting and surrendering to God, this craving for God, this longing for God, not only will be satisfied, will begin to grow us in the likeness of him. I mean, isn't that what we've been beginning to realize in these Beatitudes? That we are spiritual beggars before God. We are in complete need of God. And we mourn the sin and our depravity before God, knowing that outside of God's strength and transformative work in us, we will not be transformed. And so we take a posture of meekness. Our strength under control, and it's expressed in our hunger and thirst. For what? For righteousness. Recently, Eric Friedman put a graphic online to kind of poke the bear, so to speak, and ask the question, what are we leaning into as Christ followers, or specifically, as this graphic would say, for evangelicals, what do we turn to on a regular basis Every day. Here's what the graphic says. If you look at it for a moment, do you see it? It says social media versus scripture, percentage of evangelicals in the U.S. who say or use the following, who say they use the following every day. Facebook, two thirds of us use Facebook every day. Almost 40% of us use YouTube every day. One in three of us use the Bible every day. Now, I know that can be kind of a jarring or poking jab. But we have cravings that we pursue on a daily basis, some that do and some that don't lead us to a closer relationship with Jesus. So what is Jesus calling us to crave? Jesus is calling us to crave righteousness, his righteousness, we know that God is holy, that God is set apart from other gods. God is pure and God is blameless. And specifically, Jesus walked this earth in a holy and blameless way. The righteousness that he is expressing is the right relationship that we were intended to have with God that has been broken. And he is calling us back to a right relationship with God that is made right through the death, the burial, and resurrection through Jesus. That's where we find our salvation, salvation, the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. But he's also calling us to a righteousness that is in us and through us that will begin to impact the injustice and the brokenness of our world. 
The crowd listening to Jesus is hearing this hunger and thirst for righteousness and what they are longing for is the peace that was created at the beginning of time through humanity would now be restored and that we might have a close intimate relationship with a holy and blameless God. And in order to do that, we must have a sacrifice through Jesus that would make us right before him. And for those of us that have accepted Jesus into our lives, there is a righteousness, a holiness that is called from us so that as God has made us right, we would bring God's character, God's righteousness, God's will, God's way to the world around us. And the injustice and the brokenness and the oppression and the healing needed for our world would be experienced from God through us. We're talking about righteousness expressed in two very specific ways. Our salvation being made right with God, but also the justice of righteousness that happens in our world. (laughs) There is a God who wants to know you personally and for you to crave him. Yet God gives you the freedom to choose whom you might crave the most. Jesus continues to preach on through the Beatitudes. And when he does, he calls out the pursuit of cravings. He begins to describe in chapter six, our longings for security, our longing for possessions, our longing for things that we may want for ourselves. And he compares and contrasts us to the birds of the field and the lilies, the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And Jesus begins to say, hey, look how God provides for them. And how much more does God care for you? None of us can add a hair to our head or a day to our lives. So trust God. That's why he says this, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is saying, trust me, with your hungers, and thirst and passions lean into me and notice how your daily hungers and needs are quenched through God. Paul begins to address this a little bit in in Philippians chapter three, and I'm not gonna read that passage for you, but I would encourage you. I would encourage you to see the contrast as Paul begins to describe to this church in Philippi, people who have let their cravings, their stomach begin to be their gods and that their destruction is before them and that shame is upon them. And he says, you know what? Our lives have to be surrendered to Jesus, who is the only one that can give us the identity of our citizenship. Our citizenship being the kind of people whose citizenship is in heaven, is in the kingdom of God. That it's under the authority of Jesus by surrendering our life to him and submitting our cravings to him that we might experience God's relationship. Like a pastor speaking to the trajectory of his congregation, he puts pen to paper, expressing his brokenheartedness for those who chase cravings that are not eternal, but are temporary and never satisfied. It's like that old illustration. Do you remember it? It's like the older gentleman who sits down with some boys and he talks about the inner struggle in us are like two dogs fighting with each other. He says, one dog fights for you to do what is right and the other dog fights knowing he wants to do what is wrong. And they battle back and forth inside of each and every one of us. And a young boy just simply asks this wise sage and he says, well, how do you know which dog will win? And he says, it's the dog that you feed. 
It's the dog that you feed. It's, it's a simple illustration. But this, if this illustration rings true to the everyday life of the, of the follower of Jesus, I think we would have to admit this. Feeding our cravings focuses our priorities. Feeding our cravings focuses our priorities. God loves us, instilled in us a desire and long for him above everything else. Gives us the free will to choose the kind of cravings we might pursue in our everyday life. But as we consume, our craving grows. And as we, cra- as we, as we crave, we consume those very things. And so under the submission of Jesus, under the surrendering of our lives before God, we determine whether we will continue to feed the cravings that fix our priorities, fix our eyes on Jesus, or whether they pull us away. And frankly, in this season or any season, oftentimes when we feel a disconnect from God, we can oftentimes go back and point to things that we have chased or over-prioritized or consumed that have ultimately pulled us away from pursuing Jesus above all else. I like what Peter says when he describes the intimacy of what God wants with us. He says this in 1 Peter 2, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted, the Lord is good. It's an intimate picture of a mother holding a child. That intimacy drawn in and known of this picture of God longing for us to hunger for what we need more than anything else, the nutrients, the strength that only comes from our relationship with God. So how would we summarize it? We would summarize it this way. Happy are those who crave Jesus, for he will always satisfy. On the throne of our hearts today, I'm challenging you to put to death the way we used to live and surrender our lives before God. This last week, I had a great opportunity to spend some time with a friend who I have been uh, having a journey with as, as she would ask questions of faith and she had a belief in God. She had, begin, had been following God for some years but had never come to a point to say for herself, I want to surrender my life to Jesus through the picture of baptism. And baptism is a portrait that literally kind of says to us that we are putting to death our old way of living so that we might walk in obedience with Jesus. I want to share with you a video of this last Monday night where she pauses with some family and friends to come around and to declare publicly that her life is surrendered to Jesus and that she wants her life to point to Jesus. Watch this video. Okay, well, let me, let me kind of share a little bit about what we're doing tonight and what it's going to be. Uh, you all know Laura Wright, and uh, correct, I mean, or Laura, and uh, not Laura Wright. <laughs> uh, but tonight is her baptism, and we've been talking about this. Initially, we thought we were going to do this in a beautiful lake over a sunset, 
But over time, weather changes, and this is the right time to do it, we decided that we would do it tonight together here. And so we've set up uh, a chance to have a baptism together. Now, you know Laura's heart and her desire for God, and this has been a testimony of who she's been for a long time. But there comes a point, I think, for all of us where we feel like maybe there's a next step or a declaration of the faith that we have had to say, this is our new beginning. A baptism as a church, we know it talks about a lot of things. It's uh, being buried with Christ, putting our old way uh, of living to death. It talks about how we're clothed in Christ, how we walk in a new way. But what I love about baptism is that what we do here happens all around the world. No matter what tribe, tongue, nation that you're a part of, this is one of the signifying points that says we're all in with who God is. And so there are people on the other side of the globe tonight and this morning that have made this decision and we are a part of one big movement of what God's a part of. And so we are so thankful that we get to celebrate this with you. We're so thankful that uh, we get to share this moment with you. But we would like to, as we traditionally do as a church, um, just have you share a confession of faith with us. And so if you believe this to be true, we all can share this together, but I'm going to ask it of you. So if you want to repeat with us as well. Uh, just repeat after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Scripture reminds us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we'll be saved. And so because of your confession of faith and the witness of love that you have for God, I'm going to say a word of prayer for you, and then we're going to do your baptism, okay? God, just thank you so much for a special night tonight. Thank you for the way that you have worked in our lives. God, there's no doubt that uh, there are trials and tribulations, but every day we have a chance to walk with you. And God, there are times that we feel vastly alone. We feel overwhelmed by the world around us. But God, our feelings are not what determine our faith. It's our trust in you and our trust in the word. And so God, today, when things are good and things are bad, we will give you praise and we will trust you with our ways. And so God, we love you. We give Laura to you. We ask that you would just continue to celebrate in her the life that she is giving to you, knowing that you paid our price, that you gave your life, and God, we commit our life back to you. It's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and I'll help you in. Very good. It's nice and warm. We warmed it. We warmed it. Go ahead and sit in, uh, cross-legged. There you go. You can slide all the way down so your knees touch. That'll help you so you don't. Okay. Laura, because of your confession of faith, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and pinch your nose with your right hand or left hand. Okay. Lean back. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Let me get your towel for you real quick. <laughs> Just the way you hoped, didn't it? I'm so humbled that Laura gave of her time Monday night to bring family and friends to be baptized into Christ, where we see a portrait of what it looks like to surrender our lives. And not because of tradition, and not because of family expectations, but because as a follower of Jesus, she wants to be obedient to the calling placed on her life. Maybe you're wrestling with that next step, then I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your phone and grab the app. And when you do, there's a chance when you go to the First Christian Church Champaign-Urbana app, you can click on it. 
open it up, click next steps and scroll down to where it says, I want to be baptized. You can put your information in there and we will follow up with you. Because starting November 15th, we are going to uh, provide an RSVP process where you too, like Laura, can have your own private baptism party with family and friends where we can come around and celebrate the work of God in our lives, to be clothed in Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, to pledge our conscience of obedience, that our gravest craving is actually our greatest need, to be known and loved by Jesus through his righteousness and the righteous life that we are called to live out for him. If you want to be baptized, you've got a child that wants to be baptized, have a friend that wants to be baptized. Let's begin to pray today so that on November 15th, when those RSVPs are laid out and those connect cards or those decisions of baptism come in, we can schedule your private baptism in Champaign or Urbana And may we see God's people rise up as a declaration of going public with their faith that our greatest need and longing is for him. Let's move to our time of response. I don't know about you guys, but this holiday season, every Thanksgiving, has me craving my mom's homemade pumpkin pie. The recipe has been passed down from generation to generation, and I look forward to it every Thanksgiving. And I'm sure that there's things that you are craving and that you are looking forward to also. It really is true that we consume what we crave and we crave what we consume. And as I was thinking about this, I thought there's never a time that I spend with Jesus that I think, oh, I wish I had that time back. But how many times have I watched a movie or um, been on Facebook for hours and just thought, what am I doing? I wish I had that time back, but never is there a time that you'll spend time with Jesus that you'll regret. And the more you consume him, the more you will crave him. Danny shared um, just this sentence with me today and, and it hit me when I was reading it and it says, The righteousness of God ought to be our craving in life, and he will provide that for us if we crave Jesus. And the more we crave Jesus, everything falls into place. And so as we respond, even with our finances, with giving generously, the more we spend time with Jesus, the more obedient we want to be with our finances. And you can give today in the give and respond boxes. You can give today through the app or online. But I would encourage you to give generously to First. Our missions are amazing and always put to the best of what God is calling us to do. Secondly, through baptism, if you have been wondering about baptism, you have questions about baptism, you've been thinking, oh, when am I gonna get baptized? This is it, this is your opportunity. We have a whole baptism week. We have a party just for you. And so you can sign up just like Danny said, you can sign up online, you can sign up on that app, you can meet me around back at the end of service and I'll write your name down and we will get a time for you. But don't procrastinate, do it while we have our baptistry out where we can invite friends and family in a safe way. 
And thirdly, we can respond by taking communion together. So if you have your communion elements, if you would go ahead and get those out now, that would be great. On the night before Jesus's crucifixion, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And they did. And in the same breath, Jesus held up the cup and he said, this is my blood that I shed for you. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Would you stand up as we continue to celebrate Jesus today?